Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have John Reed from Boss Cat Kitchen and Ten Sushi coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, Daddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Trill Burgers, the smash burger concept from Houston hip-hop legend Bun B and California restaurateur Andrew Wynn announced that they have found a permanent location. They are coming to the former James Coney Island space at Richmond and Shepherd Drive in early 2023. Trill Burgers has made quite a splash since it debuted last year. It has appeared at the rodeo. It has appeared at numerous music festivals. And it won a Ultimate Burger Spot trophy from Good Morning America last summer. Matt, I say all that to say to you, have you tried Trill Burgers? And if so, what do you think about it? I have not had the privilege of trying Trill Burger. For your second question, I am unable to provide an informed opinion. Well, I fortunately, I, I have tried Trill Burgers a couple of different times. I've, I've been fortunate in that respect. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's very similar to other Smash Burgers, right? It's got the very thin patties with the crispy edges. You know, the melty American cheese, they do trill sauce, which is, you know, kind of their version of the Thousand Island style, you know, burger dressing that's very trendy, pickles and grilled onions. That's kind of the big, it's kind of the big secret that sets the trill burger apart is those, those onions that add a little sweetness and a little umami to the party. It is a good smash burger. It, it, you know, ranks with, Burger Bodega, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, or or I think about some of the others I like. Uh, Toasted Coconut comes to mind as as doing a very good riff on a smash burger. But you know, this has been this has been a huge hit. I mean, you know, they, they did a pop up at City Hall a while back. They served something like two thousand uh, people in in the course of a day. So you know, this is uh, a, a development that I think a lot of people are excited about. And, and, you know, when I had Bun and Andy on the show a while back this summer, you know, they, they realized that there are, there are things that they can do, you know, at a restaurant that they can't do at a pop-up, right? Like Andy is, is known for his, he's got milkshakes in California. So, you know, adding that to the repertoire of what Trail Burgers does, they could add a couple more sandwiches, they can... You know, they can have fries all the time. And and then, you know, in terms of the interior design, all kinds of nods to to Bun's career as a as a hip hop star, you know, really kind of turning up the Houston aspects of that, uh, I think could be really fun. So, you know, we don't quite know like what it's gonna look like or exactly when it's gonna open, but but this is definitely something they've been they've been planning for. So let me let me let me bring it back to you, Matt. I mean, what do you you understand why why people are excited about this? Well, I think so. No, I and I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, uh, preempt too much of our conversation here in the second segment, but 
I mean, I think burgers are having a renaissance uh, in Houston. Uh, I'm here for it. I think that that location uh, is is a really good location, probably even better than really good. The one thing that uh, not just proximity and, and geography, but that it has a parking lot. And that is underappreciated for uh, uh, for how many burgers they can do. No, I, I, I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I, I agree with you. I think the, the Shepherd uh, Street construction is coming to an end, so hopefully that'll be done uh, by the time they're ready to open. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, you know, especially for a, a space inside the loop, it's a pretty big parking lot. It's a, it's a good-sized dining room. And so, you know, it opens up that, that dine-in experience in a way that, you know, maybe some of these other, you know, more grab-and-go type, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, just the places across the street. There was a, there's a hot chicken place across the street that's got a very small dining room, and, it, and it's, really, it's really designed to be, you know, mostly to go. You know, Trillburgers can can create a real experience with this, and and I think that's important because it's almost impossible to overstate the esteem with which people feel for Bun B, and and we see that every year when he hosts the Culture as they, as they Awards. Should. Let Let's start oh. to interrupt. Yeah, no, well deserved. You know, we see that every year at the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards. You know, people come up to him through the whole course of the evening. Uh, for pictures and and handshakes and and all of that, and he's incredibly gracious with his fans, and so bringing that personality, that spirit to uh, the restaurant environment, I think is going to be really key. Yes, I, I would also say similar to um, sort of what we've seen in barbecue. It, it, it's not enough just to have good brisket and good ribs and good sausage these days. So I think, uh, as you alluded to, the ability to offer more of an experience with the burger is going to serve them very well. Absolutely. And, and they know that, you know, they, they recognize that. And, you know, Bunny even talked about that on the podcast. He's like, at a, at a festival, right, people who have listened to his music for years, oh, I can get Bun B's burger. I could see Bun B there. I could get a picture with. Bun B, you know, that's all part of it. Now, how they integrate that, you know, given his schedule and his timing, obviously he's not going to be there every day, but, you know, how they how they put that together, I think will be interesting, but it's certainly something they're mindful of. It's 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 very much built into the Trollburgers brand. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, no, and me looking too. looking forward to my first Trollburger. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. For topic number 2, I want to go back to something that took place while we were on Hiatus in mid-November, Esquire magazine named Totemo to its list of America's best new restaurants. Matt, I know that you've been a big supporter of Totemo. You've eaten there frequently. You become friendly with Emmanuel Chavez and business partner Megan. So I just, you know, I just I wanted to get your perspective on this. What do you think this national recognition means uh, for Totemo as it kind of looks to grow and evolve in its second year of operations? Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. 
one side of the coin is I, I certainly think it's deserved. I am a big supporter because I think what Emmanuel and his team are doing there is is really special. So the recognition is nice. I also like that they're not in it for the recognition. They'll certainly take, I mean, again, my opinion, I don't want to speak for anybody. I think that uh, it's always good to be recognized uh, at the end of the day, this is a business, but I'm not sure how much it changes for them other than sort of the periphery stuff. Yeah, I think it, I think to a certain extent, it sort of validates that, that what they're doing is resonating, you know, beyond whatever financial success they're, they're achieving and, and the speed with which the reservation book is filling out. I think it's always, I think it's always nice to be recognized. I think it, it sets them up for other regional and national forms of recognition, whether that's, you know, other magazines or publications that come through town that are looking for, you know, places to feature. I think that that puts them on the list for that kind of consideration. And and then, you know, there could be other award type opportunities in the future for them. So, you know, I think, I think that's all to the good. And, and I think it just sort of emphasizes that, what what's happening, you know, in a 13 seat space in a strip center kind of on the border of spring branch is pretty special and worth paying attention to. And, and, you know, you and I had a meal there back in April that was uh, absolutely one of my favorite dinners of this year. And so I, I'm, I'm thrilled for them and, and that, you know, they're doing it on their own. You know, they don't, they don't have a publicist. They don't, you know, they're not, they're not, there's no one sort of pitching them, you know, they're just kind of doing good work and letting, letting the recognition come. And and I think that's to their credit. No, I think that's well said. I think that, um, you know, the goal's the same and it's like, okay, let's take five minutes, pat ourselves on the back. Let's get back to work, you know? So, <laughs> right. Right. We've right. Because, you know, you're only as good as your next meal. And I, and I, and I think the other side, of the coin is also credit to Esquire. You know, uh, I don't want to get on a on a riff here about Houston being overlooked nationally, but uh, somebody really did their their homework, uh, and I think they also deserve credit. So, kudos to Esquire and the gentleman's name's escaping me right now. I don't want to miss say it, so I'm just going to say. I think Kudos. it was Joshua David Stein is who wrote. That's the, what I was going to say. I think that's right. Who wrote the Totemo piece for them? And and he had, and he did. You know, last year he was in Houston, and and they recognized March and De Goost. Uh, again, you know, March obviously has been very high profile, but you know, De Goost maybe a little more under the radar. So you know, it's clear it's clear that they recognize that Houston is an important city for dining, that it's worthy of consideration for lists like this and that they they do their homework and they come in and they find you know something good to feature every year so yes i i agree credit to credit to esquire for including houston and right and you know at the end of the day if 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 that puts tatamo on someone's radar that hasn't been there you know then that that's what it's all about absolutely all right Matt, for uh, topic number three, I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I do want to note that Houston Restaurant Weeks announced a $1.2 million donation to the Houston Food Bank for their 
2022 event that's up from just over $900,000 in 2021. Matt, let me let me put it to you. I mean, what do you see as as Houston Restaurant Week's role kind of in the dining scene? Do you feel engaged with it? Does it guide your dining choices in August? Uh, well, I, I mean, a few things. I'd say one, congratulations! Like that is a serious donation to the Houston Food Bank. Um, it is, I think proportional to kind of what I'm seeing in restaurants, you know, slowly but surely we're getting back to pre-pandemic levels and feel like people want to go out. And when you can partner something that you were already going to do with a good cause, daddy, you know, that's what we look for. That's what we call a win-win. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, something that HRW founder Cleverly Stone always emphasized is it's a, you know, it's a win, 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 right? Three wins, right? A win for restaurants who turned August from a slow month into a busy month, a win for diners who get a good deal, you know, at some of the, at some of the great restaurants in the city that participate in the event, you know, and obviously a win for the food bank, which turns every dollar into three meals. So, you know, you, you know, one point two million dollars is is something on the order of, uh, you know, uh, three and a half million meals for hungry people in the Houston area. So, you know, I think it's easy to be a little bit cynical about it. You know, you look at the menu and it's, you know, it doesn't always feel like there's compelling choices at every restaurant. There's only so much uh, grilled salmon and six ounce filet mignon that anybody I think wants to eat. But, you know, if you look at the the top ten list. You know, it's B&B Butchers, it's Front Ends of Houston, it's Traveler's Table. You know, it's it's restaurants that really commit and showcase their menu and give diners great choices. And I think that's that's to their credit. Uh, no, I think so. I, I think, you know, it's a, a great legacy for Cleverly and now uh, her daughter, Katie, that's continuing this legacy. Not to not to get on the soapbox here, but but food insecurity is something that I don't think is talked about enough relative to the size of the problem in Houston. So that's a a step in the right direction. Absolutely. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two places. Let's start with Louis Italian American. This is the new, uh, the pivot, I guess, for chefs Angelo Emiliani and his sister pastry chef Luciana, aka Louis Emiliani. Uh, you know, they had opened Cafe Louis in May. It was certainly one of my favorite new restaurants of the year, but it didn't. It didn't resonate with diners quite as much as their Sunday night red sauce Italian specials did. So they've changed things up. They've they've leaned into the Italian stuff. They renovated the restaurant. And now we have Louis Italian American. So let me just ask you, we, we did not dine there together, but we have dined there separately. What were the highlights of your meal at Louis Italian American? 
Daddy, you know, really all of it, to be honest. I really enjoyed um, Cafe Louie. I was happy to uh, go back for Louie's Italian-American, and I enjoyed it just as much. I don't know that it's a big difference. There are some differences. They did update the space a little bit. By update, I just mean change. Yeah, they hung uh, some new lighting units. They put some wallpaper on the walls. It's nice. So, yeah, they've they've got some service bays and uh, the music was was different. That's something that got several comments all positive from the table, and and, and the food was was great. It just it was all that that meal for the people that I was with. Obviously would have been nice to dine together, but uh, certainly will be one of the highlights of 2022 for me. Yeah. You know, I, I think in some sense, this, this is a, a transition that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Angelo worked, uh, worked at Italian restaurants in Austin. He worked for Chris Bianco in Los Angeles. I mean, he, you know, he, he knows this cuisine really well. The pastas at Cafe Louis were always a standout. And so, building a concept around pastas and Italian dishes it makes a lot of sense to me. I think we had a, we had a good meal and, and, you know, it, it checks a lot of boxes, right? I mean, the, you know, the meatballs, you know, he's using dry age, Texas beef, the calamari was crispy, well-seasoned, the tajarin with the mushroom masala. I think that's a, that's a carryover, I think from the Cafe Louis menu you know, one of those just like very, it's, it's too some without being too chewy. It's, it's savory. It's got that, that great umami. And then we did the tagliatelle with the, the butter sauce. It's, it's again, like, you know, very rich, very savory, very hearty, especially on a, on a cold night, very comforting. Uh, and really of course the chicken that. parm. You enjoyed the tagliatelle? Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, that that one. It, not normally, I, I've sort of shied away from ordering it from restaurants. Just it just doesn't really. I know butter hit. sauce has that like kids menu feel, right? But this has this has a depth of flavor and a and a savory quality that was a pleasant surprise. Indeed, and in a way that I'm probably going to have to go back this week to have it. <laughs> well, and and I think that that redfish, the redfish piccata. It has that kind of citrus, that kind of buttery quality to it, but in a really juicy, nicely well-cooked piece of fish, you know, it's kind of a fun alternative to chicken piccata. And, and I think that, you know, to the extent that, you know, Angelo and, and Louie can put their spin on this stuff and, and challenge people's expectations for, for red sauce Italian, I, I think that's all to the good. And I also think it's, it's a good reminder that just doing good food isn't enough. And it's important to, to go and to patronize these places. So if you haven't been to, to Louis Italian American, I think that it is well worth your time. And I'd be curious to uh, hear someone's feedback after they went. Well, people can DM you at that guy, Houston, and tell you about their meals at Louis Italian American. I look forward to it. Let me let me just we'll we'll move on in just one second, but let me just ask you, where does it fit in for you with some of the other Italian restaurants? I mean, there's more than a dozen that have opened over the last year and a half or so, but but 
Where does it fit for you? So to be fair, full disclosure, I, as has as been mentioned previously, I, I do sort of observe that keto lifestyle. So I'm not eating Italian a lot, but it, it's top of mind. I mean, people ask me for recommendations, you know, for new places. I'll usually give them three. It will be one of the three. High praise. All right. And then for our second restaurant, I want to talk to you about Burger Bodega. Uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, I should say that a Bostonani, the owner of Burger Bodega, is a friend of both of ours. We've dined together frequently. You know, I know a boss pretty well. And, and you know, I've watched this kind of grow from an idea to a series of sold out pop-ups to now a restaurant on Washington Avenue. And again, we were talking about smash burgers in the context of troll burgers, but, but I think burger bodega really gets this right. I mean, a boss really, you know, really studied the form and perfected the technique and he may have the crispiest smashiest smash burgers uh, of anywhere in Houston that I've been. Well, this is a, a, a reminder of why I enjoy visiting pop-ups. It's not always convenient. It's not, not always hassle-free, but uh, it, it's been just over a year, I think, since he did his first pop-up. And to see where this burger is today versus where it was a year ago is, is impressive. It was It was good then. I will say it is great now. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I you know I remember liking it at those first couple of pop ups, but thinking like, oh, you know, it could be a little bit more consistent. It could be crispier. It could be this. It could be that. Like he's got he's got all of those elements really dialed in, and 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 he's had some fun with it. I mean, you know, he he added the the chopped cheese with the the sautéed peppers and onions. So if you don't like, if you want a sandwich but maybe not a burger, you know, that's available to you. He he's added the fries that you can get topped with meat and cheese. I think that's really fun. And he partnered with Kraft Creamery to do the milkshakes. And, you know, I had Steve Marquez from Kraft Creamery on, on the show a while back. And we talked about his time at the burger guys and and the milkshakes were uh, one of the best parts of the burger guys. And so to have, you know, that chocolate milkshake, that Vietnamese coffee milkshake uh, back in my life is very welcome and and they added a mango la- a mango lassi, you know, which is a nod to a boss's heritage, and so I think it all it all comes together really well. Agreed, and I and part of me there's a part of me that says don't go for the burger or the chopped cheese or the shakes or the fact that he's carrying local products, Greenway, Fijis, Craft Pita, to name a few, Pudgies. Go for all of it. It's all worth your time. Well, and and the other thing is, you know, we we talk about dining as an experience. You know, I think that they they got the decor right. You know, it it has that bodega atmosphere, and they created these like fun, fake Houston themed, you know, seven one three up, and and some of the other things that go on the shelves to make it look more like a bodega. And it's it's an additional element that that does nothing for. For the profit, it doesn't make the food taste better, but it but it feels more like an occasion. And and a boss, you know, who's been so successful on Instagram and TikTok understands the value of an appealing environment and and a place where people want to 
want to be and take pictures and and stay for a minute. And I think he's done a really good job of of creating that for his business. No, agreed. Uh, absolutely. You know, the subway style graffiti, you know, involving, you know, local artists, artists like Donkey Boy. I, you know, it's like ho-hum. That's, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that's pretty serious. And I know that, uh, uh, I say, I know, I want to say, I, I believe there were some um, youth art involved as well under the guidance of Donkey Boy. And so there's a story there and, when there's a story and the food stands up, it's a pretty winning combination. Absolutely. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the Restaurants of the Week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daddy. And I'll be right back with John Reed. I am joined this week by the co-founder and CEO of Daily Dose Hospitality Group, the company behind Boss Cat Kitchen and Libations and newly opened Ten Sushi. John Reed, welcome back to the show. How are you? Very good. It's been a few years since we were we were on here together, but uh, a lot has changed. I think for both of us, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I was I was trying to think about that. Uh, and I think you, you and and your business partner, Leslie Wynn, were on, like in the very first year of the podcast, and yes. and you know since then we're up to like you know two hundred and yeah I'm I'm looking it up right now. You were on episode two thirty nine, or I'm sorry thirty nine thirty nine, and this is episode two sixty four. That is absolutely incredible. I, I get to do it again. I feel uh, I feel very honored. Thank you. Well, so. Yeah, so when I first talked to you, we, you were about a year into Boss Cat Kitchen. Catch me up. Just give me like the the you know the thousand foot view. I mean, how has how has Boss Cat Kitchen evolved over the five years that you've you've been in business? What are you what are you most proud of about what you've achieved with that concept? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I the biggest thing since the last time we, we we formally sat down. I mean, obviously we've sat down several times since then, but formally was. You know, when we came to Texas, we came to Houston specific, you know, we had looked at three or four different ge- geographies and we thought we thought that Houston had the best opportunity for us and the best location for us, you know, being right there off mid lane and Westheimer. And it was rocky. You know, it was a great start. And then we were hit with the hurricane. We were hit with some other, um, you know, uh, challenges. And the first uh, 12 to you know, 16 months. I think I shared with you, you know, I was I was a little in shock. Some of the pushback, you know, stylistically on the food, I, I thought it would be um, a smoother transition. But, you know, in those challenges comes a lot of learning and growth. And we were able to modify what we do and really start to tailor it to the local Houston community. And, you know, years two through I think we're at six now, years two through six have been absolutely tremendous. Um and 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 that learning curve, I didn't anticipate, but that was a good education for me as a as a younger leader when we first started this. Obviously, you know, brunch is what we do as well. It's such, such a weird dichotomy. We're a whiskey bar, super masculine, and then we're really really good at brunch, which is completely very feminine. And um, you know, brunch is out of control. 
uh, out of control. If we could do it seven days a week, I think we'd still be pretty busy. So the the growth of the company has really got behind, you know, whiskey itself, as you know, as a connoisseur uh, yourself, you know, these things, whiskey is the hottest thing in the world right now. And brunch is also simultaneously hot. So we were able to get on the that train quickly and early, and we've seen a tremendous amount of success. Did I ever think we'd go back to California and open another restaurant in those five years? Absolutely not. Um, but we, we walked into a great situation. We grew another Boss Cat there. And now all of our efforts are focused on um, our two core brands here, which is Boss Cat Kitchen and Ten Sushi. As you know, uh, we just opened up Ten Sushi and we're working on the Woodlands to open up in late January for Boss Cat Kitchen. We're, we're definitely going to get into both of those brands, but let's start with Ten Sushi because that's the new opening. You know, how did you kind of decide that, that the time was right to bring that to Houston? And I mean, to a certain extent, like it, it, it must have been just fortuitous to identify a location that's literally across the street from Boscat. Yeah, that that honestly, uh, Eric, that was the deciding factor. Um, this town has uh, such a great food scene. And, you know, my two of my favorite sushi restaurants, and I'm sure they're I'm sure those are shared by many people. Um, nationwide are in this city. So it wasn't like I saw an opportunity um, that wasn't being taken advantage of. It was more so about the convenience of a location next door to Boss Cat. Um, the geographic area, I'd say within a mile to two miles, high density, and you know, didn't really have a competitor doing what we do um, in that space. So I, I saw this as a neighborhood opportunity to capture, and that's why we were kind of smaller um, on the footprint to capture that neighborhood crowd who wants good sushi, great Chinese food, um, doesn't necessarily want to drive to to Montrose or over past the Galleria. Um, so that's it was more so about that than anything else. Well, and, and I, I think that's well said because there is that kind of mental hurdle. You know, if you think about just your immediate neighbors in Afton Oaks or Highland Village or River Oaks, you know, crossing 610, right, dealing with the traffic. And crossing 610 is such a hurdle. And and so, you know, not that, not that you know, Uchiko and, and Nobu and, and some of the other sushi restaurants nearby aren't great restaurants, but that that feels maybe like more of an occasion. And and sometimes you just want, you know, General Joe's chicken and a California roll, and you're, you're very well positioned to provide good versions of both of those things. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you nailed it. Uchiko, Uchi, Nobu, they sit at the top of the market. Any, any market they go into, they're going to be the, the top of the market. They do such a great job across the board, you know, but there's still a need. There's a need. For the, there's, a, there's a consumer uh, uh, up and down who just wants great food at a really approachable price because sushi is one of those delicacies that people's palates have evolved so much since I started this whole journey. And, and people eat sushi a couple days a week before you know, before I owned a sushi bar, I went maybe once a week or once a month. And now people are going multiple times a week. And if you can make it approachable financially for them, um, you have a lo really loyal customer in a high density area like this. I am shocked with the amount of people that are coming in more than two days a week. If not for a cocktail, we have a great cocktail program because they wanted Chinese one day. They wanted Japanese or sushi the next day. You know, so we've been able to capture that locally. Yeah, and, and I guess talk a little more about that menu because it, it does satisfy like a, a lot of cravings. It's not just, you know, we, you know, at the high end, right, sushi is 
you know, an omakase experience with a chef preparing nigiri right in front of you. Um, and, and you're at a different, you're at a different place. So, so maybe just kind of talk about where you feel your strengths are and, and kind of how that comes together. Yeah. I think you and I had this conversation. I can't remember when it was, but you know, at, at no point in time, and, and you know this about me personally, do I ever uh, think that I, I'm really comfortable in the things that I know we do well. And I know that my menus and my offering isn't for everybody. I know that my menu and my offering maybe isn't always, you know, uh, um, a Michelin star, you know, I, I joke <laughs> here, but we, we really try to work on providing great service and really good food and beverages. And, you know, the, the higher end part of the market with the omakase style, you know, that's just not, nothing we've ever really explored, let alone invested our time and energy. And we just said, hey, how do we put out great products um, that are very, very approachable to, to the masses? I'm, I'm more of a masses guy than some of these great chefs in town that are really focused on, you know, hyper local or, or these specific people. My mind is always like, how do I how do I recreate this? How do I grow this? How do I get the masses in? And our menu has been centered around that. People love sushi like no other. We learned that through the pandemic. Our sales went through the roof because you weren't making sushi at home. You're making burgers, you're making steaks, but you're not making uh, sushi at home. The Japanese portion, uh, or I'm sorry, the Chinese portion, the Korean portion uh, that we've integrated has really been about that consumer who goes out with four or five people. And like, I don't eat raw fish. I don't eat sushi. Uh, we have something for you and we have something that we we feel that we do better than most people, which is the, you know, the walk, the walk cooking. So that was really what we tried to do was bridge the gap between that party of four, party of five, party of 10. It was like, yes, we want to go to sushi and there's two or three people like we don't. We now have something for both of you that is equally uh, formidable. And I think that's where we found success, both in California and here is really staying in our lane. Uh, can you get omakase from us? Yes. If you're sitting in front of a chef, is that what we do best? Absolutely not. We are great in the flavor game, the role game and, and the Chinese walk. That's where we really play well. And we're hyper-focused on. All right. So, so let me just ask you, would people go, do you find that they kind of go one way or the other? Like, do they go all sushi and not walk or do they kind of mix and match? Okay. Great, great question. Um, in Irvine, our Irvine store, you know, if you look at food overall, it's about 70, 30 sushi to hot food. Here in Houston, and again, you know, we're new, so people are trying a lot of things, obviously. But our food product mix is literally like 60, 40, you know, 50, 50. And I think that people are so intrigued that they can get a couple really good shareable hot items to complement their sushi uh, I didn't anticipate that. I anticipated a 70-30 mix. But then again, in a city that has such great sushi, if you're going directly for the fish, you can go to Umi, you can go to MF, you can go to Uchi and, and really have that experience. I think people coming to us are looking for more of the total experience, the vibe that we create, you know, uh, the aesthetics that Leslie has brought to the table and the food. I mean, talk about that design because I think Leslie really went all out with it. That would be an understatement. Listen, she came to me a couple years ago and she said, if we're going to grow this brand, because as you know, we uh, we bought the brand. It was in the tank and um, it, it had not been invested in. We had a ton of issues. 
So uh, looking back, I probably would have changed the name and, and started over. But we learned a lot. We finally got the brand good again. But we said, if we're going to grow this thing, we've got to grow it with a different identity. And, you know, one thing that you will see when you walk in our restaurants is everything that we do speaks to who Leslie and I are as people. We're very casual you know, uh, run-of-the-mill blue-collar workers who work really, really hard, but we like a little bit of elegance. We like a little bit of the femininity. We like a little bit of masculinity. So you'll see those things. And, and Ten Sushi was her canvas to really speak to our female consumers. And in the era of social media, everything that we do in that restaurant speaks to social media. Every finish, every vision, every we call it the retail window, everything that you see is meant to stimulate you from a social media picture perspective. That was really the baseline of her her design. And I can tell you right now, she absolutely killed it. Well, and it's such a stark contrast with Boss Cat, which is more industrial, right? It's got that kind of rickhouse, you know, cigar lounge for kind of aesthetic, you know, very masculine. And 10 is, is pink and purple and cushy. And it like, they just couldn't, I don't think you could open two more different looking restaurants. You know, I, uh, a good friend of mine works for the Hillstone group and, you know, I compliment them all the time. Cause I think they, I think, you know, in, in the multiple unit game, they do, they do the best. And um, he said, yeah, but a lot of, we, we, we work to, to have similarities woven through our concepts, you know, so there, we, you, you get a very, you get the same or a similar experience and feel when you go. And I said, we're trying to do the complete opposite. We're, we're like, there's a boss cat consumer who wants the masculinity, who wants the fun, the, the whiskey, the rickhouse. Then there's this other consumer over here that wants, you know, something that's really fun and approachable and whimsical. And, you know, I, it's so funny when I'm walking around the restaurant the last couple of days and they're like, wait, the boss cat, you, you own this? This is a far cry from boss cat. I said, yeah, we we like you know, we're bigger, big yin and yang. We, we like both both ends of the spectrum. And we feel that there's a there's an opportunity to gain new customers, you know, by 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 really differentiating our concepts. Oh, good. Because that that actually sets me up for the next question, which is, are you finding that it's it's boss cat regulars who are like, oh, you did something else. I want to try it. Or is it people from the neighborhood who are like, ooh, a new sushi restaurant. I got to go. You know what? Um, I'd like to say. Um, that it is a mix of both because we have a like a very loyal base at Boss Cat. Um, we do whiskey very well. Um, our, our our comfort food is is very good, so people really can appreciate the consistencies with that. But you know, if you lived in a one or two mile radius, you probably have you probably had it 150 times over the last five or six years. So the fact that they know they can get the same customer experience next door as far as quality and service i think that has enticed a lot of people and we've seen that we've actually seen so many people going back and forth across the street but also those people that really boss cat didn't appeal to them you know they said listen john i i like you you seem like a good guy but boss cat's really not my thing and uh a lot of people in the building i live i live right behind the restaurants they were just like this is the most excited we've been for a restaurant opening in this area because this speaks to who we are you know, we're, we don't necessarily love the heavier items or the comfort items. So there's been a lot of excitement in Highland Village and Afton Oaks, River Oaks area for, for what we're doing because it was just very new, you know, very, very new for them to have a really cool neighborhood spot that kind of has this very trendy look and feel. 
Right. I mean, there's only so much Fruity Pebbles French toast that anybody, <laughs> you know, maybe should eat. I don't know about can eat, but but certainly should eat. Um, so so let me just ask you, like, how's it going at 10? I mean, you've been open for a few weeks now. It has been, um, you know, we're having we're having good problems. I, what I mean by that is um, we are so busy right now um, that people are kind of looking at it through the prism of Boss Cat. They're thinking when if they haven't seen the restaurant that it's, you know, a 7000 square foot, you know, 200 seat restaurant. And this is an 89 seat restaurant. So we're getting um, a lot of we're getting a lot of um, inquiries for larger parties. You know, and that's difficult because it consumes so much of the dining room. Um, again, these are great problems to have, but we've gotten tremendous feedback. Obviously, it's a work in progress. We have some newer staff that needs to, you know, continue to learn and grow. Um, but the offering itself, I, I can't believe how consistent it's been. And the reception has been sincerely uh, really, really positive. And that has been um, that's been special, uh, you know, with Boss Cat. We had a we had a good fanfare, but we had to, a lot of work to do to earn it. And here, I feel like from day one, we've we've had tremendous fanfare, and really, it's just about how do we keep it there at this point. All right, well, let me let's let's move on to to the woodlands. I, I mean, I know you've been looking to grow Boss Cat. You you explored. I, I want to say like the Katie Fulcher area. That deal obviously uh, didn't come together, but but you're locked into Market Square. Like, how did you? I mean, of all of the places you could have put a second location, uh, how did you identify the Woodlands? You know, when we decided to go back to California, um, it was because the location was centered in this beautiful downtown area with a ton of foot traffic. And our original Boss Cat and the one here, we get very little to no foot traffic. And I said, we're not getting a lot of organic business walking by that just wants to check us out. And anything we do moving forward... We've got to be in the middle of a, a town center or near a lot of heavy traffic, but I don't necessarily want to be in a mall. And uh, a couple of things came up in Sugarland. A couple of things came up in Katy, to your point, and they were very interesting. We were almost to a deal next to Clark Cooper um, out in the uh, Katy area, and the whole project kind of fell flat. But when they called us for Market Street, I know I was a little taken back, to be honest with you. Um, in full tr- full transparency, you know they're doing a 180 on that mall. They're they're, they're taking that mall from mid level retail to very high end Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and you know my first question to my my real estate team was, well, what did they want with us? You know how do we mix? How do we fit in? And um, I immediately got a phone call back from one of the landlords who said, you're exactly what we need. You know we have we have Mastros who's our anchor. We have Tommy Bahama. We have some other uh, transitional companies coming in that are really meeting our higher end clientele. But that same clientele just wants to have a bourbon somewhere. They just want to have a burger. You know, if they're coming to shop at the center, they're with their wives. They want somewhere comfortable to come. And the one thing that you have that none of them have is brunch. And we want that. We want to be known as the brunch destination. Park your car, go shopping, go to brunch at Boss Cat. And they, they were selling me on it almost more than I was selling them because they thought we were a good fit mix wise with who they currently had. So kind of where are you in the process? I mean, roughly when do you, when do you think you'll be opening your doors? 
Uh, great question. I, I feel like every time I open my mouth and I say when we're going to open, um, God slaps me and puts me back in place a little bit. Uh, as you know, the restaurant business is uh, <laughs> always a moving target. You know, we're, we're hoping for uh, the middle to end of January. The weather, the last three weeks, uh, typical Houston weather, uh, it's not cooperating at the moment. So we're having some struggles uh, with some of our finishes. Um, climate control has been a real challenge. However, uh, whether it's the end of January or first part of February, we already have our team hired. Um, we have a, a large contingent of them already started in training uh, down at our Westheimer location. So we're going to be we're going to be game day ready um, by the middle of January, whether we're we're on target or not. But I'd say, uh, Eric, the 24th through the 26th of January uh, latest would be the first full week of February. And so have you been kind of dining around the woodlands? Have you gotten a sense of what of what's popular up there? I mean, what have, what have you learned about your future customers? You know, there's really two geographic uh, center points. You know, you, 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 you have the, the waterway, which is we're kind of an offshoot of that market street, the waterway, and then you got Hughes landing. Those are the big destinations, you know, in the woodlands. And it's such a um, confined neighborhood up there. Those people for the most part, you know, once you're in the woodlands, you kind of stay there and you migrate around the geographic area. Not a lot of transplants going down to Houston for dinner on a Thursday or Friday night. So if you have a good concept there, they're busy. I mean, from True Lux to local poor, you know, uh, Tommy Bahama, I, that's the, probably the busiest Tommy Bahama I've ever seen, uh, is they're all very, very busy when you provide a good product. And I've gone to, you know, Zanti's, uh, which is fantastic. Um, I think they just opened up a little while ago up there. And um, I'm very impressed with there's several concepts that are doing it at a very, very high level. Um, I also think there was a need for what we do. I didn't see a lot of people in the whiskey space up there. And I definitely didn't see a lot of people in the brunch space. So we saw a couple competitive advantages to the Woodlands over Sugarland, over Katie, just based on those two things. Um, but we're very, very impressed with the level of uh, the quality um, that's up in the Woodlands. It's going to force us to get better. And uh, the diversity um, that is coming. It's not there yet, but it's really, really coming. Um, a lot a lot of people like me are looking to grow into the woodlands because the consumer base is um, very affluent. They're very knowledgeable on food uh, and they're they're hungry for new things, literally. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all well said. I mean, I'm in a couple of the, the woodlands Facebook foodie groups and every now and then you'll see someone ask for a recommendation for a restaurant downtown. And I think of downtown as like, you know, the central business district, very distinct from Midtown Montrose, the Heights, Edo, like, like, you know, you, that's a very specific area. What they mean is anything South of the Beltway, right? <laughs> they yeah. like, they think of, you know, they don't, they're not coming to Houston unless it's like for a sporting event or some sort of theatrical performance and so it, it's two completely different uh, customer bases, and and so you you know it's like, you know you could you could open in in Austin or Dallas, uh, or you could just open in the Woodlands, and it's it's functionally kind of the same thing. I com could not agree more. Um, I thought the Woodlands, uh, uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I thought the Woodlands was like growing into a new market, a new city, but it's literally forty two miles away. And uh, that was a huge 
positive for us when we're making that selection because we're looking at those cities. But that city, those cities put me on a plane or those cities put me in a three hour car ride, you know, from a management perspective. And this is uh, just a nice little jaunt up to 45, uh, hopefully with no traffic or issues. Um, and that that was a that was a huge, uh, huge reason why we, we took that took advantage of that opportunity. And then I not not that I'm committing you to anything, but I assume that you long term would like to put a 10 uh, next to the Boscat Woodlands, just like you've got 10 uh, down here in Houston. Uh, very creative way to ask that. And uh, the answer is yes, that is our model. Um, and we are already in discussions uh, for uh, two possibilities, actually, uh, up, up in the woodlands. So not, I don't want to put the co- coach before the horses, but uh, you know me very well, and that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. Well, and, and then let me just ask you kind of broadly about your future plans, because, you know, I follow you on Instagram. I see you gallivanting around. I know you've been to Denver quite a bit. I know you've been to, to Phoenix. I mean, like long-term, like what do you – what do you what do you what are you thinking? I mean, what do you where do you see this company going? I would like to see us really grow our presence here in Texas. And um, you know, the 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 Dallas market, the Austin market, the San Antonio market are rich with opportunity uh, for the things that we do. Um, it's really trying to find the right deals at this point because we took on such a heavy lift this year with five restaurants. Um, it took its toll on me a little bit. So we're, we're really trying to be picky and choosy about where we're going next. But um, Arizona had a lot of great opportunities and um, you know, the deal structure just fell through Denver. Uh, we're committed to doing two restaurants in 2024 there. We're doing one ten and one boss cat. Um, so that one's already on the docket. And then I'm in um, discussions right now with two areas of Dallas um, deep Ellum area and obviously Plano Frisco uh, for both concepts. So a lot of activity you're going to see over the next uh, 12 months. Uh, but I, I see brick and mortar kind of starting in 2024, 2025. You know, and let me just take you out, you know, 10,000 foot, you know, because we were kind of talking before we started recording. You've come a long way in, in the, you know, I remember meeting you and Leslie at Blacksmith for a cup of coffee and like, 2016 i don't i don't even know if you'd i don't even know if you'd signed a leash yet or you maybe you hadn't even really announced uh announced the plans for for boss cat i mean you know how do you how do you feel about kind of what you've what you've achieved here in this market and and you know you got to feel you got to feel pretty good about it yeah i uh i i eric i remember that day vividly you know we're sitting out in black blacksmith's uh patio and chris shepherd walks by and hey you're like wait you already know him already and uh we've just you know we were just i wouldn't say kids but leslie and i are hardworking people and we you know we we one of the best advice you ever gave me by the way was um we love having new concepts we love having people come here but you know, recognize that we already have a really quality food scene. And, and you said it very direct, but you didn't say it rudely. You were just like, there's been people before you have made this mistake. Watch out for that. And I think that's probably the best advice that I had gotten. And honestly, I have to thank you because by nature, that's what Leslie and I are doing. Like we're trying to understand 
where we fit in. We're trying to understand, you know, the key players and, and what the communities need. We're not just trying to come in here and take over. That's never been our MO. Um, but we've been rewarded with that. You know, we're, we're growing on to eight restaurants uh, by the uh, by the end of January. We picked up a Mediterranean restaurant in California that I'm really working to uh, scale and bring it here to Houston. I think it would be great in the so geographic area I'm already in. Um, but did I ever think we'd come from Newport Beach to Houston successfully, you know, have uh, BCK come online, do a good job, but learn a lot, end up moving on from that concept and then going back into the market with two or three more? No, no, this is all a dream right now, Eric, to be honest with you. I, I, I pinch myself almost daily because I just can't believe that Leslie and I are capable of doing this. So um, I'm just hoping that we continue to put out good products and we, we continue to be rewarded uh, with the local communities. I mean, I think that's well said. I, I think that's to your credit. I, I just want to ask you about one other thing because you, you, you have this like very uh, assertive social media presence, right? Like you're, you're sort of, you're giving people pep talks, you're offering business advice. I mean, how did you sort of choose that, that like, that's going to be your persona and, and like, what kind of response do you get from people? Uh, you know, Leslie has been pounding me for years and just said, you know, by nature, you're kind of a coach. You know, my dad works in the restaurants. He, he works the boss cat Westheimer here every day. And, you know, I grew up with a great, you know, parental unit. And one of the things was, is always to be honest and transparent. And I've used that in my leadership. So when I went on, when I went on to social media four years ago, I said, I'm just going to speak to the things that I I'm comfortable with and that I know. And I know there's a lot of people out there uh, right now that are aspiring to own their own business or, you know, to be motivated. And I can speak to those. I'm not some uber successful guy, you know, who's not relatable to them. I'm just a, a normal blue collar worker who got a little bit of luck and continues to put the gas pedal to the floor. And I think a lot of people relate to that. So my my social media engagement, as our marketing manager said, if we can get our company's social media to be as engaged as your people are, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be very dangerous. So I have a very active following that is, you know, looking for those little nuggets. And um, I'd be remiss not to share some of the things I've learned along the way. Awesome. Well, um, I have to say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything you would like to discuss that I haven't asked you about? No, I mean, we talked offline, you know, as, as much as uh, I appreciate the love this way. You know, I asked you a question and I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you again is, you know, did you ever anticipate that you would get this much cachet and this much acclaim behind you know, your efforts? And I don't say that for any other reason. You know this about me by now, Eric, but um, you know, I think your your rise uh, started before mine. But you know, you've you've come all the way up the uh, the Houston and the, the 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 Texas food scene. Did you ever anticipate that level of success? No, no, I had I had no idea what I was committing myself to when I, you know, because I've been writing for ten years. Like twenty 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 two is ten years for me, and I I really had no idea. And then you know, coming on coming on board with Culture Map in twenty thirteen. You know, they said to me, like, look, you know, we're going to you'll be a staff writer. You'll do you'll do you'll do some food and some not food, you know, within the and then, you know, things changed in 2015. We got new ownership. They said, look, we're going to 
we're going to make you the food personality. We've got someone doing social. We've got someone doing fashion. You're going to be the food guy. Uh, people seem to really like the food stuff. So we leaned, we leaned heavily into that. And then, you know, acquired by Gal Media in 2017. It's like, oh, you know, I've got this idea for a podcast. Like, wouldn't that be fun? And, and you know, now there's 260 episodes. So no, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't enter this, you know, with a lot of intentionality. I thought, you know, I'd write for a year or two and then, you know, finally sort of fulfill my, my destiny and go to law school. Um, but uh, that's, that's not how it's worked out. You know, as, as I say, I, I don't know if I've said it on the show before, or I've said it other places, but sort of looking back on it, you know, not, not realizing this at the time, but looking back on it, right. There were sort of like, there were some big questions, right? Like, you know, would I enjoy doing this, right? Could I find something to write about every day? Which, you know, when they told me like that was part of it was incredibly, like sounded impossible, but has never been a problem. And, and then and then would anybody read it, right? Like, and, and the same thing with the podcast, like would anybody listen to it? And it's it's so incredible that, that people you know, think it's useful, right? That they, they plan their date nights and birthdays and anniversaries and, and all that stuff around, you know, something they've read in culture map or heard on the show. It's incredibly flattering. And so, yeah, I feel really fortunate to get to do this every day. And, you know, it's really fun not having a real job. Well, I think the authenticity uh, is probably what intrigues people the most. You know, everyone loves, the industry that you and I are in, you know, and they love, they love to know where the next hotspot is, but they also love sincerity in things that you like and don't like, you know, and you've been very fair to us, but you've also privately shared with me some things that I need to work on. And I think that's why I enjoy the relationship because everyone wants to be told they're the greatest, but uh, they need to be told the, the truth. And uh, you do a good job of, of doing, of walking that line. And, and uh, I just, I appreciate you. I appreciate your growth. Um, and seeing that too and, and having me on again. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for doing it. Give us the websites and the social media pages for, for Boss Cat and 10 so people can keep up with what you're working on. Yes, uh, bosscatkitchen.com. Um, we're working on dailydosehospitality.com. It's kind of a, a longer one, but that will have the landing page for all of our concepts on there. Uh, we have a pretty big uh, social media following uh, with uh, 10 Sushi HTX on Instagram. Boss Cat Kitchen, we have one uh, Instagram for that, uh, for all of our stores. Uh, you can follow us there for all updates. And uh, so, shameless plug, just under seven, if you want some daily motivation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. John, thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Thanks to the audience. I'll be back next week with our annual year in review.